I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection. A little bit of a different twist today. I'm your longtime host, Jason Harmon, CTO at Stoplight. With me as usual is Adam Duvander. And our guest today, the reason I say it's a little bit of a different twist, we have Jeff Schneider, a developer advocate from Asana. A guest type, an archetype we haven't really had yet. So kind of talking about APIs out in the wild as opposed to kind of inside the four walls, even if they're virtual like we usually do. So I guess, Adam, tell us a little bit about yourself. And then, uh, Jeff, it'll be your turn to give us your wonderful intro spiel. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I work at Every Developer, where we work with API companies to engage developers. And that's why you know I'm excited to talk to Jeff today. Finally, one in Adam's wheelhouse. Yeah, because that's entirely my understanding of what you do, Jeff. So welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I've been at Asana for about five years. And to provide a bit of context, Asana... For those that don't know, it's a leading uh, work management platform that helps teams orchestrate their work from tasks through strategic initiatives. So really providing structure to that unstructured work and trying to drive clarity so that everyone knows who's going to be doing what by when. And relevant for this conversation, you know, Asana is a product and, and most people know it through this web interface or the, or the mobile app. And I'm on the platform side. So that so the API is really a feature of that product. So I'm helping, helping external developers, internal developers, customers kind of enhance that experience of Asana by building integration scripts, bots, really automating Asana to kind of make the custom workflows that, that work for you. So that could be anything from working with the Googles and Microsofts of the world to build integrations all the way through entrepreneurs and you know individual developers building purpose-built apps and small businesses on top of Asana and then everything in between. So it's wonderful to kind of meet with folks from around the world and, and learn their use cases and kind of see the exciting things they come up with to do with our platform. In these more kind of external facing topics, I'm always curious. I know some people go, oh, it's an API. Like, well, what's the business thing you do to make that happen? I know from experience, it's a lot of different reasons, right? My favorite example of John Musser's, what was it like 50 business models for APIs talk that was just, you know, that guy's a stud. But I'm curious, it sounds like there's a lot of different relationship types that you're getting involved in. You know, what are the kind of different looks to that in terms of motivations of why people would want to connect? There's almost as many motivations as there are developers out there. So, you know, everyone kind of has their own unique story and, and place they come from. I'm you know, doing research over the years and kind of getting to know uh, developers through a variety of different channels from, you know, surveys through kind of UXR sessions, just having recurring calls with developers. You know, we've, we've tried to organize them into different personas just so we can, you know, organize our thoughts and, and try to build development tracks based on what people are trying to do. I think that the three biggest distinctions, and internally we've adopted first party, second party, and third party to connote this, but we all, we all know who third party developers are. So those are the folks out in the world who you know, likely work at another company and, and they're building an integration with your product. So you know, probably some other SaaS tool out there, you know, they're probably a, a professional software engineer and, and are getting paid to build this integration. And then for the second party, those are our customers. So you know, anyone from a, one of our smaller teams up through the, the kind of large enterprises that use Asana, they want to customize Asana for their own use. So whether that's integrating with an internal database or creating a custom workflow or really just automating Asana in, in a way that's bespoke to that company so that the integration really only touches that domain. 
that's kind of another persona we like to think about. And so we call those second party developers. And we, we've kind of fleshed out what that, what that can be and, and kind of you know, what makes that challenging compared to third party. We can certainly dive into that because there's, there's all kinds of learnings we've, we've made there over the years. And the first party, that's the internal apps teams, the internal engineering teams, our biz tech teams, people inside of Asana who consume our API to either build really cool internal automations and scripts and, and all kinds of, of, of ways that we've customized our own use of Asana. So, you know, everyone internally uses Asana all day long. We don't do any internal email. You know, we're always in the tool. And so we have lots of cool ways. We've built kind of our own internal integrations. And then we also have a in-house apps team that builds kind of like our, our deepest and, and most used integrations. Like our Slack integration, for example, has huge adoption and we're kind of continually adding features to that. And so that's that's our own in-house software engineers. And so all three of those groups have different motivations for building and kind of different skill sets they bring to the table. And there's obviously lots of subsets within those. And so when we're creating developer experiences, you know, we try to think of which group we're trying to serve, you know, with this guide or SDK or whatever we're doing. And then that kind of at least provides some guardrails in terms of, you know, the technical level of expertise, what we're trying to help people do. That, that was kind of me rambling there, but ho hopefully that answers your question a bit in terms of people's motivations. Yeah, I think it really helps. I think a lot of people don't think through that as much. And it's just like, is it internal or external? And then external is like, you know, kind of all over the place. So I think at the very least, that second party versus kind of third party. Right. I mean, it could be, we have really successful apps that are built by a single individual. And then we have really successful apps that are built by like a, a Microsoft. So right. even within that third party world, you have vastly different types of developers with different motivations. Yeah. But I mean, I think right out of the gate, it changes things like auth, right? Like getting your own data versus getting data on behalf of someone else. It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, exactly. I've noticed that sometimes a company will only think about one of those audiences when they're thinking about sort of, especially with the, often in developer advocacy, it's fully external. And so then those second and third parties become lumped together as one giant external developer. So maybe... Talk about how you arrived at those three and whether, like, I'm curious, do the internal within Asana use the exact same APIs that anyone externally would have? Yeah, I'll tackle that first. Um, for the most part, yes. And when there is not an API, they build it and that provides a better experience for everyone. So we, we really are, for the most part, dogfooding our own API with our public integrations. And I think that really just makes the API stronger. There's some exceptions to that with mobile apps where, we want to have parity in the mobile app with the web product. And so, as you guys know, when you're building an app, you'll have flagged features most of the time it launches, but maybe it's not a success and that feature gets rolled back. And, and you, know, you know, you don't want to, when you launch a public API, you want that to be quote unquote forever, you know, for a long time. Like so it or not. <laughs> there are some caveats where it makes sense to use private APIs, but for the most part, everything that our Kind of in-house apps do, external developers can, can use those same endpoints. And I'm sure that the way you approach internal developers is probably different from external, but maybe first talk about the second and third party and how that's different in the way you approach them. So we didn't know a whole lot about that second party group when I joined Asana. We knew they existed because we could see them in the logs. So we could see that nearly all of our large customers had in-house apps. So they'd gone in, at the very least generated a token, and they were hitting our API. And it was kind of a black box beyond that. And then the third party developers, because they have to submit their app to get in the app directory, you have more visibility into what they're doing. We'd set up 
recurring calls with some of our closer third-party app developers. And so we, even though we didn't know all of them, we knew a handful of them and could kind of extrapolate their needs. So to understand that second-party group, you're kind of highlighting something here that's uh, important, which is, you know, we didn't really know a whole lot about them. So we, we purposely set about to, to do a research project to meet them. So this was, um, you know, obviously pre-COVID and the before times, we reached out to a whole bunch of our customers in the Bay Area and asked to actually meet them out, out in the meet space in person. And so we got, uh, it was slow going at first, but once customer success got word that we were helping customers do things on the API and really providing consulting services to customers, we got a lot of inbound interests. We probably met with maybe 30 different customer developers, a lot of them in person, some over video chat, but really just sat down in a room with them or sat down at lunch with them and asked you know, pretty open-ended questions just to try to figure out what they were doing, what team they were on, what their motivations were. And we, we learned a lot. One of the most surprising things to us was a lot of the second-party developers didn't really know what Asana was. So they might be on like a biz tech team and maybe a marketing team that lives in Asana had assigned them a project to build an integration with a marketing tool or build some automation. You know, there's, there's, there's little learnings like that where like maybe they don't know the Asana product. Maybe they're not a professional software engineer. Maybe they build, piece things together, but they didn't go to a, a top engineering school and, and study CS. And so learnings like that help us come up with documentation. So, you know, after doing all those interviews, we, we packaged those up in case studies and, and try to extrapolate from them. So like one thing that we did was built, I wrote an Asana object hierarchy doc because it was clear that the second party developers didn't really know what the Asana terms meant. So when they're looking at our reference docs, it's hard for them to connect back to what their ask was from their marketing team. The marketing team's like, you know, we want everyone to be added to tasks as a task moves through a Kanban board and we want these automations to happen. And when they don't know what a task or a project represents, it's tough for them to build that integration. So you know, just building something as simple as translating Asana objects and explaining the relationship with the API is, is really helpful for folks that don't live in the product. So, I mean, as, as shocking as it is, not everybody loves your products as much as you do. And so kind of coming from that place where, you know, maybe somebody just had something assigned to them, you know, they're, it's, uh, I've got to learn a new product. I've got to learn a new API. That's, that's a headache for my, my day-to-day job. It's, it's extra work. So just making that as easy as possible, putting yourself in, the, in their shoes. And, and I don't think we would have come to a lot of learnings without actually meeting with folks. I mean, I, I would encourage people as maybe as uncomfortable as it sounds to just meet face-to-face with a, in person or Zoom with your developers and just listen to them, let them talk. And you're going to hear things that you never could have imagined, even though you are a developer. So yeah, so I guess a couple of those, those learnings with the second party is they may not know your product. They may not be professional software engineers. They may be less motivated to build than maybe somebody who's, who's like an entrepreneur, like, you know, somebody who's coming out of Y Combinator and, and is building an integration with Asana. And, and this is their, their whole life purpose is to build this integration and, and build a company around it versus somebody who just got another project put on their plate where they have to learn a new API and a new, and a new uh, product. Yeah, that's probably universally true across most SaaS platforms. I know at Typeform, it was a lot of the same stories. It's like the point and click integrations were way more attractive in that space than actually integrating with the API. I like your use of the word meat space, by the way. I miss the meat <laughs> space and I'm, I'm enjoying visiting meat space again. Yeah. I'm actually going for a happy hour tonight. You know, it's funny you say, you know, it, it seems weird to like, you know, describe the vocabulary and what it means. 
but I kid you not, every single episode, every single time this topic comes up, there is nothing more consistent in people that we meet who work on APIs for a living at kind of platform scale is like, know what the words mean. <laughs> it seems so pedantically simple, but to your point, I think it's worse than just customers might not know your product terminology, but the, the way you talk about your product inside the company might not mean anything to anyone that doesn't work inside that company. And being like, being that advocate for the customer, that was my segue. That's how I transitioned. <laughs> so like, what does developer advocate mean for you at, at Asana? Like, what's the day in the life of Jeff here? It certainly changes quarter to quarter, which is one of the reasons why I, I love being a developer advocate. No two days are really exactly the same. There's just so many sub teams of developer relations. So I mean, I think the first big distinction is, is are you at an API first company? Is, is the API your product? Are you at a Stripe or a Twilio? Or are you at a SaaS company where you have a product and the, the API is more a feature of that product? And so in the former, you know, you might be sitting on a marketing team and your goal might really be top of funnel growth or awareness or really, you're really more towards the top of that DevRel funnel. You know, where I sit, I sit on the engineering team, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll see folks on the product team you know, sometimes still on the marketing team, but yeah, kind of depending on what your business model is and, and how the API fits into it will kind of dictate from what I've seen where you sit in the org. So we, we you know, we sit on the, there's a kind of a platform section within the Asana engineering org and, and we sit in there. So the, the pros of that really are, you know, we have a very close relationship with our API team. We sit right, you know, when there wasn't, when there was an office, we sat right next to them and- In the meat space. <laughs> yeah, back in, back in the before times, we sat next to the API team and, and we're returning to the office here in September. So It'll be fun to, to see folks again. Yeah, so a day in the life. Anyway, yeah, so I said the engineering org, but as I was alluding to, there's so many sub-teams of developer relations. You know, you, you have docs, SDKs, you have evangelism, external evangelism, you have internal evangelism. You have almost like part, a partner engineering function where you're working closely with external developers, helping them scope an app and, and make trade-offs. So there's kind of an architect component to it. And, and I could probably go on and on. So, I mean, I have a list of, you know, probably eight to 10 kind of sub-teams of developer relations. And because we've to date mostly hired generalists, we can kind of plug and play depending on what the needs are for the quarter of the year. So we've been lucky that we've been, I think this is just speaks to us on culture, but the folks that are closest to the work get to kind of come up with their own OKRs that kind of deliver the goals you know, that they see that they're closest to. And then those kind of roll up to our, our 10 annual company goals. So it's kind of a, this combination of top-down direction, but, but the details and implementation of that direction are decided by the people closest to the work. So we come up with our own, our own OKRs every six months or so, and the cadence has changed over the years, but every two quarters, we, we come up with these big projects. And so based on what we come up with, we can kind of implement a different type of developer relation. So, you know, maybe we have an initiative, as I was alluding to, to do some developer research. So we create an OKR around driving a result around learning something about our, our developers. So then I get to go meet with our internal UXR team, get trained up on how to do UXR, and, and then go implement that. Is that user experience research? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. I'm throwing acronyms around. Thanks for catching me there. Yes, precisely. Okay. Yeah. So we, we have a, a great user research team. And so um, it's been fun to learn how to do user research and create surveys and, and do interviews with developers. It, you know, if you get the chance to watch a developer use your landing page and, and API and reference docs for the first time, definitely do that. You'll learn a ton. <laughs> We're so close to it. I mean, that, 
that's really one of the powers, the superpowers that new hires have. When someone new joins our team, one of the first things we have them do is build an app on our API, like in the first week before they learn everything and learn all the weirdness and behind the scenes things and just capture all of their learnings and, and frustration and any sort of friction they feel building on the API. Clearly, other external devs are going to feel that same thing. So I'm, I'm not sure I really answered the day in the life thing, but the, the exciting thing is the, the day changes. You know, we have kind of our, our long-term goals. You know, we want to have, we want to, we want to keep having meaningful apps being built on the platform. We want to have more developers on the platform. We want to have more, more people consuming those apps. So, you know, we have these kind of high-level goals that Northstar metrics that we work towards, but the actual day-to-day of how to get there and, and which part of the developer funnel we're working in, it really changes a lot depending on which kind of sub-team of developer relations we're, we're using at that point in time. So it's fascinating. It sounds like you're doing kind of some cross-functional team structure and maybe a bit of virtual teaming in the sense of kind of shifting gears and being where you need to be. Yeah. But there is one kind of central discipline-based group for how developer relations has its own goals beyond those kind of business-centric goals of where you're sort of virtually co-located. Is that a good summary? Yeah, exactly. You know, we work cross-functionally with biz dev and marketing and sales and customer success, but we really are our own function. We, you know, we have our, our own mandate document and our own team mission and our own kind of metrics that we're working towards. That's really cool. I think that's like one of the nicer sounding stories. Usually like developer advocate stories are like, well, there's kind of this gray line and I kind of report to so-and-so, but kind of do marketing stuff. And, but I don't even know who my boss is in engineering. And it's really (laughs) nice to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, having attended a bunch of the DevRel cons over the years and and hearing people talk about it, I I do think that that is common. So I I do feel fortunate that, that we've been given the autonomy and structure to achieve our goals and, and work toward that North Star metric. But I do think it's common where, you know, people feel frustrated by having to kind of continually prove the value of DevRel and then also kind of continually try to come up with metrics to prove that value. So I think thankfully we've been able to just focus on the work and not have to justify our own existence. But you, you do go to conferences and, and that is kind of like a perennial topic, you know, hearing folks talk about that. That's definitely, uh, you, I think, saw where I was going here, which is like, very cool, number one, I think that the integrated goals, integrated metrics approach, like I'm a big fan, right? It's like nothing happens with APIs that you're not doing in your business, especially in this kind of, you know, extending your SaaS platform like you talk about. Pretending like APIs bring something different to that. And it's like, no, it's just a different relationship connector, right? But those kind of more evangelistic activities, I'm curious, like, do you sort of have measures of success around those things to know when you're doing well beyond proving your existence, which I get, and that's a thing. It's like, how do you know you're doing well at that kind of outreach piece? I'm not sure that we have a perfect solve there. I mean, I would say just gen- you know, general advice for folks trying to come up with metrics. I mean, I think looking at retention and expansion, I think can be helpful. Customers that build on the API are stickier than customers that don't. You know, our data scientists can, can confirm that for us. You know, we know that we have the intuition for that, certainly. So, you know, if a customer builds an, builds an integration, built a script, built a bot, does something cool with the API, and, and all of a sudden their business revolves around that workflow, it's really hard to tear that out. And on the flip side, it really supports the expansion of our product within that company. So, you know, if, if some team is using it really well, and, and then all of a sudden they've integrated it with the workflow of another team, then that team starts using Asana. And so, it really kind of supports that net expansion. Yeah, I've, I've proven my existence with those starting points too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so that, that's where I would start. I think what you were asking about the evangelism, I think those are the hardest metrics to show because they're leading indicators and, it, and it's, you know, as we all know, it's very hard to track someone through the funnel from seeing a tweet or watching a video or, you know, attending a conference and then building an app. You know, there's, there's probably, you know, like a synapse, you know, there's probably lots of little things that, you know, feed into a, a decision ultimately being made one way or another to, to build on a platform or not. And, and so, you know, you can, you can kind of look at number of views of different docs or videos and, and things like that. And, and hopefully it's trending in the right direction, but I've, I've yet to hear of like a perfect metric for that evangelism side of things. So I'm up, if you guys have any, have any advice, I'd love to, love to hear it. I like the, the way that you've talked about, it seems like it's the quality of the integrations you get, not the quantity. I think the the standard sort of approach would be looking just at pure developers that sign up or maybe volume of API calls, which it sounds like those things are things you track here, but it might come kind of to that distinction you made between API first versus an API that supports a SaaS, which is the where you operate. So you're really wanting someone who uses the API either as a developer or a user that uses someone's product that uses the API is going to be an Asana customer. Yes. You're looking for them to have a good experience, it sounds like. Yeah, that's. I think that's a good way to, to summarize it. Yeah, because people don't, unlike an API first company, people don't pay for our API. They pay for our product and that includes the API and the, and the premiumness model of the API mirrors that of the product. So if you pay for an enterprise seated Asana, you get all the enterprise features in, in the API and, and you know, a free Asana user gets kind of all the free features that they get mirrored in the API. So in Asana's case, is that just kind of like table stick stuff that like that's a deal breaker for people to adopt the product as a whole? The, the free version? No, meaning like, you know, getting the APIs as part of being a paying customer is like, it's just table sticks. You got to have that or you're not going to get the customer. You know, I, I think as you move up market, absolutely. You know, for very small, you know, companies, maybe not, but we can basically look at our logs and every single large customer uses the API. And most have many integrations that they've built in-house. So, you know, we're never going to have an out-of-the-box integration with your database. So, yeah. you know, at, at the very basic level. And then, you know, there's such a long tail of SaaS products. You know, we have over 200 apps listed in our directory, but there's well more than 200 SaaS products in the world. So, you know, we're not going to necessarily have an out of the box for everything. So the API, open API lets, lets customers build exactly what they need. And, and maybe they want to go way deeper than, than an out of the box integration is ever going to have. Having worked at Zapier before, many of the customers... I think don't even know that they're using an API or know that they want an API. Sure. But they want these two things to be able to work together. Yeah. So yeah, I think if you didn't have API access in that way, you might hear about it yeah. around the bend. They might not they might not complain about no API access, but they would complain that it doesn't work with their thing over here. No talkie. Yeah, we do a survey every year at Asana just to kind of I think we call it the anatomy of of work index, but we talked to, I don't know, 13,000 plus people. And, and um, what we learned about app usage is the average person uses 10 apps and switches between them 25 times per day. So when you start to think about like the mental overhead of switching between apps 25 times a day, if you can get that information pulled into a single source of truth, it, it really can save a huge amount of overhead. I'm almost afraid to ask because I always hear like sad stories, but 
from what you told us so far, I'm hopeful <laughs> is like that kind of product feedback from the field, right? Like you're, you're in the meat space. I know I'm beating the meat space thing up here, but you know, it's so great. <laughs> I miss being with real people. So, you know, you've taken real feedback. You've seen them doing on the screen. You've seen them on the keyboard. You know, you said in your case, there's kind of the API team and that makes its way back in. But I have to assume there's probably not one team that does every API at Asana and that you have to kind of get that feedback into other parts of the organization. How does that usually work out? We've refined the process over the years. I, I think we're in a pretty good place right now. But when I joined, there wasn't a formal process for that. Yeah, after we went out and, and talked to those 25, 30 customers, we got a ton of feedback. I mean, people will, people aren't shy about telling you, you know, what they wish was in your API or, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And, and obviously there's some noise in there, but if you can see some patterns, we started to capture all the user stories. So we get, we get things from tons of different channels, UO, support tickets, customers writing in conversations with third-party apps. We have a community forum that, and a dedicated section for developers. So folks would, would ask questions in there. We'd take all of that uh, all these various channels and then kind of synthesize them into kind of the most frequently or impactful ask for change. And so we, we started building a process around this and, and Asana is a, it's a really kind of customer centric company. And so we already had a really robust voice of customer process at Asana. We had a whole team who basically did this in a, in a very structured way for, for Asana product feedback. So you know, we're always adding and kind of building out and, and enhancing Asana. And then the API usually mirrors that. But we copied that process, called it voice of developer, you know, not super original, but we wanted to use the language that people were familiar with. And so we created that stacked rank list that we could then provide to the API team to help them shape their roadmap. And so we, we started doing that. You know, we didn't do it perfectly the first time. We learned a ton, but um, we were able to to start to really shape that roadmap because you know the, the API team, they want people to use their APIs. They're, they're just as excited as we are to get developers using what they're building, but they don't have the luxury of talking to developers all day long like we do. So you know, creating like a really structured, actionable artifact that that team can use or, or their PM and that team can use is important. The first time we did it, DevRel just got in a room and came up with the ranked list. So I, I would say, you know, bring your stakeholders to the table. Don't be precious with it. Because then when we presented to API, they had all these questions like, what, what does this actually mean? What is this? Like, and it's like, why didn't we just... So the next time we did it, we just brought whoever from the API team wanted to join, bring, bring the PM. We all sat around a room. We all read through all the user stories and then just kind of came together on, on the ranking and the top three things we all agreed on. And then that gives the API team, you know, when they're not going for future parity, they can spend their time building these requests and... You know, like webhooks, for example, is an API-specific feature. You know, it's not it has nothing to do with the product really. So, like, there are certain you know event-driven things, or there are certain features that are platform only that will that'll make their way onto that list. And so, I think it's important to have a process around capturing that feedback. Those sorts of things are, yeah, like you said, they're platform features, and it's not the sort of thing that will show up in the end-user product. But it's also not the sort of thing that the DevRel team can take action on the way you did with the, like the terminology map. Yeah, that's, that's a great observation. Yeah. Yeah. That list that we create, that artifact, the, the voice of developer list of um, kind of like the VOD priorities. Some of that can be addressed by documentation and SDKs and, and things that, that we have control over. And then a good portion of it is going to be the API team. And then some other portion of it will be other engineering teams at Asana. But um, 
it's it's good to be able to have filters on that. So we we organize it by the persona affected. So you know some of those priorities will help all three first, second, third party developers. Others will just help second party developers, let's say. And so depending on kind of the business goals at the time, it, it helps you make those trade-offs. You know, we don't have infinite resources. So if we're going to prioritize fixing one of these, what type of businesses will be impacted? Which of our customers will benefit most from this fix? And so, you know, it, it's a good way to kind of help make those trade-offs. Yeah, I'd imagine the cases that you can find where you, you can hit all three, those are the, the ones that are out of the park. Everybody wins, right? Yeah, exactly. I love the whole like voice of pattern. I think the voice of customer thing I've seen some larger places make it a little too like cut and dry with the data view of it or like, you know, it's just a glorified NPS survey and you don't really learn much from it. But if you like take that sort of thing seriously and really talk to the people who talk to the people yeah, and like actually get real human sentiment, it can really shift your perspective. And yeah, why not apply that to developers too? It's just a different set of affordances and concerns. Exactly. And, and we, and to even put a, another sanity check on it, we have, we've created an internal or a, a developer preview group of kind of our closest developers that have signed NDAs. And then they have a, their own little section on the forum that's private. And so we can actually share our roadmap. We can have almost full transparency with these folks. And so we can show them this VOD document and, and make sure that they agree that this is the, the right ordering, nothing's missing. And then when we do decide to build something that they've asked for, like a, let's say like a better structured search is like the, the top of the VOD list. We can have a design doc built by the API team and their PM, and then actually share that design doc with the developers before any code has actually been made. They can give feedback on the interface and, and really make sure that it solves their problem before we build anything. So you get this cool little flywheel of where developers tell you what they need, you propose a solution, you show that proposed solution to developers, they then help you iterate on it, and then you go back and build the thing, and, and then you've at least confirmed that A, this is what developers want, and, and B, this is the interface that actually achieves it. For my money, it's some good old school product management. That <laughs> like, you know, don't go off in a vacuum and build a thing that no one's ever seen, launch it without clear expectations and hope for the best. You know, be ready to take merciless feedback and uh, ruthlessly change it. Yeah, because you can't iterate. It's much harder to iterate on an API than a, than a product feature. For sure. What do you call that group? I like I have a term I, I like to use on this sort of approach, but we just we just call them our developer preview group. Yeah, if you have a, a more succinct name, we're certainly open to that. No, it's fine. I, I tend to refer to this as like the early access group. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. we'll give yeah. you early access to something before anybody else mm. kind of sell it as a privilege, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's certainly how we sold it. But yeah, just at least internally, we, we refer to it as our developer preview group. This story mirrors things we've heard for internal best practices as well. And when companies haven't done this with the internal team, which should be really easy to you don't even have to give them a label, right? Like you should be <laughs> easily be able to access that group. Just invite them to a meeting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet when not done, they go and they build. And yeah, with something that's fully internal, it's probably a little easier to iterate on an API, but there's still some, some lost effort there. It ain't free. Yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned, uh, Jeff, that you have some form of internal kind of evangelism. How is that different? Insightful question. So Asana has certainly changed a lot or, you know, grown and changed a lot since I joined. I mean, I think there were around 200 employees or so, give or take, you know, plus or minus 
I don't know, 25 when I joined. So much smaller company that now, now we're a larger public company with, you know, employees in the thousands. I don't, I don't know the exact number, but when I first joined Asana, there was no developer advocates. So people hadn't been advocating, you know, there had been no developer evangelism. So I'd, I'd sit down at lunch with folks and they'd be like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a developer advocate. I help people build on the API. And like, even some product engineers be like, oh, we, we have an external API. I, I didn't know that. I think if you can't convince your coworkers to be excited about the API and build on it and, and really be you know pumped about your platform, you're really not going to be able to do that externally. So we realized you know four or five years ago that before we started to do external evangelism, we should do some internal evangelism and, and get people internally excited so they could um, a because we were just such a small team. There's two of us. If we could get client facing teams excited about the API and then they told their customers. And those customers told their other SaaS vendors, that was just a much like more scaled one-to-many way of doing it. So that, that was kind of our motivation for the client-facing teams. And then for the engineering teams, just to kind of get them excited about what was possible with the API. So like once we went out and got those case studies of the 25 or so really cool things that interesting customers were doing with the API and brought them back and showed the internal team, that, I think that was just exciting for them. Because a lot of times you ship code and you know some end user out, out in the ether uses it. You don't really know anything about it. But to to take logos and, and stories and, and really show the value that the API was providing to platform teams and, and other internal engineering teams, I think got people really excited. And so it, it, the actual form of it was basically like we went out to these, these teams or whoever you know, ran these teams asked if we could do a presentation. And so we literally sat down with like the sales team, the marketing team, customer success, business development, and presented our findings from talking with customers and, and how it basically showed how valuable the API was to our customers. And then we also, for the non-engineering teams, gave like a really basic overview of what an demystify, I think I called it demystifying the API. I think if you don't come from a technical background, it can be intimidating to bring up technical conversations with customers because you don't want to get over your skis and, and get asked something that you can't answer. And so I think by just arming folks with a little bit of information and some documentation, some one page, some one page sheets they could pass along. It made them feel comfortable enough to say, like, you know, Asana has an open API. Here's how some other customers are using it. You know, we have a DevRel team. If you if you run into problems, and and just starting those conversations, we got brought into more and more engagements with kind of our most enterprise customers, and then they would also ask their other SaaS providers, Hey, we use Asana. Can you guys work with them and, and get an integration built? I think those basic like, why does it matter? Questions are important ones to be able to answer regardless of who <laughs> who the audience is. And I think even, even if it is a technical audience, being able to say, here's the thing that you will build and how it will help people that you're building it for is an important story to be able to have, a lot more than just a list of endpoints, right? Because much like your terminology one, that only can mean so much in a list of endpoints. So... I think that's a key takeaway here for anyone, regardless of who that developer audience is or non-developer audience, being able to tie back what you're building to something important. Yeah, I've always given the advice that like your first developer community is in, inside your company. And I love the way you said it. Like if you can't be convincing with the people who build the platform in terms of why this is important and exciting, you don't stand a chance in going kind of more external. <laughs> And being empathetic to developer needs, right? That's the part that I think lands it. And being able to get something done about it. To Adam's point, if you know, you can just go set a meeting and go talk to people when it's inside. You know, outside, man, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. 
I love it. That's great stuff. We like to kind of ask everyone, all right, you've learned all this stuff for what, since like 2016 or something at Asana, right? We've helped build out this whole discipline there. If you went off and you're doing something from scratch and you had to go build this developer advocacy function, where would you start? That's a great question because it kind of makes you synthesize everything and, and really kind of stack rank everything I've ever done here at Asana. But um, I mean, I think there's a there's a couple of table stake sort of things that I'd want to get out there first. So you know, you need some reference docs. We we moved to the Open API spec several years ago, and and it just made our lives so much better. We kind of inherited a um, an in-house kind of bespoke system that generated the docs. And, and while it, it worked at the scale it was created at, it was not the best option as Asana grew. So yeah, I, I would use the open API spec and, and generate some reference docs and, and kind of just get the basic information out there so people could hit the endpoints. And then from there, there's you know other super important things, just guides, SDKs, example code, just kind of kind of the real basics. And, and something we did uh, as we transitioned and kind of took ownership of the actual developer landing page and, and that that area. I mean, we just we looked in, at, at the companies that were API first companies, the the Stripes and and Twilio's of the world. I mean, they, these are massive companies that, if I think about all all of the energy and effort and expertise that we drive into our web product, they're doing that with their API. So you, you might you might as well leverage those learnings. You, you know they have you know massive research teams and and marketing teams and, and hundreds of de- developer relations folks. You know, learn from those companies as as much as you can. I mean, they really are the gold standard. So you know, we certainly took inspiration from from what they were doing. But um, I, I think the most thematically the most important thing is you, you said it a moment ago, empathy. Like you really need to have empathy for your developer. And so depending on what the product or platform or, or API is, you're going to learn different things. But you know, at the very beginning, as I was getting those reference docs out, you know, assuming that, that the API exists, I would be sitting down face to face, if possible, or, or over Zoom, or you know, the most the most high touch way possible. I would sit down and just listen to developers or, or watch them interact with your API, because they're they're going to give you all the answers. So you know, even though we're developers and, and we think we know everything because we consume APIs. You're way too close to your own API to have any any sort of perspective on on what somebody's seeing it for the first time is is going to need or want. So um, yeah, that that would be my advice. It would be you know get the thing documented well enough that that someone can use it, and then watch people use it and and ask them their experience and kind of go from there. Yeah, it's a staple of design, and we say API design all the time, right? Step one is like observe, figure out what they're trying to accomplish, right? Like. Of course. Yeah, it sounds obvious. It's I mean, it sounds almost like a cop-out answer, but that's that's absolutely no. what I would do is, is talk, talk to people. <laughs> I don't think enough people do it. I think people get caught up looking at data and logs and metrics and trying to kind of aggregate. You know, I know from attending some, you know, events and hackathon kind of stuff and all that, like when you actually watch someone do it and watch them griping about stuff, like and you watch them lost and hunting and not knowing what something's called, it's different. It's super different. Tactile feedback, right? I love it. I think that's great advice. Although you also mentioned kind of first thing out of your mouth is really useful docs, which is interesting, right? For somebody that a lot of people would think, oh, you, you know, you just go do talks and, you know, put together decks and, you know, tell people about stuff. It's like if you're passing out PDFs, probably doesn't work so well, right? Yeah. I mean, there might be 
situations where that makes sense. You know, certainly for a product that you can, that is just intuitive to use, that, that makes a ton of sense. But for something like an API, I, I think you want to have, you want to have at least a, a comprehensive and somewhat easy to navigate developer experience before you send, before you put too much effort into sending people there. At least that would be how I would approach it. Definitely. I've, I've always drawn a line in the sand on like, I'm not going to go tell people to look till we feel proud, <laughs> you know, let's know what that line is. Yeah. I mean, like it, it certainly doesn't have to be perfect and you don't, you don't want to get caught up in, in trying to, to iterate too much, but at least get something out into the world where people can, can consume your API without, you know, you being there obviously, and then um, and figure out from there, you know, what's the next thing to build. And you mentioned the shift to open API to kind of generate those docs was yeah. an important piece. Why is that different than say, you know, just kind of hand curating some content. Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with doing that. But I mean, just out of the box, there's a ton of open source tools you can use. Developers are used to it. You can do document-driven development. It's easy to create and update SDKs. I mean, the list kind of goes on. I feel like at this point, instead of talking about the benefits of the open API spec, I, I feel like you should have to come up with with reasons not to because I, I can't really say, I can't really I can't really think of any off the top of my head um, at least kind of based on how we're doing things right now so it took a little bit of effort to make the switch but we're you know it was it was time well spent and is that open api stuff being kind of generated from implementation internally or is it more designing up front with open api it's a combination of both and things have, have kind of changed over the years and and as asana has grown i mean we we have an API team that used to build every API endpoint, and now they're kind of more in a self-serve model where they're helping product teams implement uh, endpoints. And, and that's kind of something we, we do have, we've been getting as Asana has grown and as our customers have, have made it clear how important integrations and platform is, you know, the, the platform team has grown uh, as well. And so we, we have a platform architect now that can really sort of think about these trade-offs and can devote their whole time to thinking about, you know, does it make sense to hire more API engineers or does it make sense to hire product engineers and, and have the API team help those folks? But the good news from our perspective is we can now have the API team update the spec versus us having to do all that. We can sanity check it and then we can push it live and then we can generate updated SDKs. I think like like one source of truth, regardless mm -hmm. of how you get to it. Yeah. It is valuable. Yeah. So we're still iterating on the process and, and I'd certainly be open to, to hearing what you guys think in terms of best practices. And do you share the the open API document with developers? We do, yeah. So okay. yeah. So they can pull it out themselves, they can put it into Postman. So it you know, for, for developers that are familiar with it, I think that's that's helpful. Any other kind of parting thoughts for us here? Yeah, I mean, just get out into the world and 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 meet your developers. They they have all the they have all the answers. They're they're not going to be shy about telling you what they want. Initially, I was a little apprehensive about going to meet a stranger and talk to them. And what if it's awkward? And 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 none of that it really ended up being true. You know, you you both have something in common. You both you know like building software and and can get excited about that. The conversations, the vast majority of them were actually really energizing to, to actually go out and hear how somebody is is consuming and, and how their life is better because of the work you do just gives you a ton of energy. So I, I would say um, if, if you're nervous that it's going to be awkward or uncomfortable, I think really the opposite is true. So you get out there, you, you talk to people and you see all these ways that people are using your API that you never would have come up with. Like the shadow side to that is, you know, deprecations are hard because people are using your API in a million unintended ways. But um, 
the exciting part is people are using your API in a million un, un, unintended ways. So um, <laughs> going out and learning about that, it's, uh, it gives you energy to, to continue building out the platform. I'll hold up the example today, right? You, when you go talk with people who are working with these things, like we all have similar interests and, you know, it's, it's fun to meet, meet the geeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I rarely regret it when I've done these sorts of things myself. So couldn't agree more. Well, Jeff, it's uh, been an absolute pleasure today. I was honestly a little worried, like, oh, boy, it's going to be all these down stories of the poor downtrodden developer advocate. But <laughs> I'm really impressed with kind of the way you guys do things there. And I feel like this is definitely going to be an episode I'll point folks to on, like, here's some good examples of how to do things, not the typical stories you hear. So thank you. Thanks, Jason. Adam, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Adam, thanks for co-hosting again. Of course. Great to hear these stories. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.